we don't even know how to pray. Um, their hearts are broken right now. Dan's still in travel, coming back from India, trying to get back. Please help them. Come to this family. Holy Spirit, minister to them. Help them through this terrible, terrible, horrible time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Turn to Revelation chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. It's the last book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. We're going through Revelation verse by verse, and we are at the fifth trumpet where Satan is unleashed. Now, I have a question. Who is our enemy? Is it Russia? Is it China? Is it the Muslims? Is it your spouse? No. To all those possibilities. It is Satan and his minions. At the end of time, Satan will be unleashed in an unprecedented way. Now, the things we learn from this passage, if we are getting near the end, which I personally think is true, then we can see what is going to happen in the end of time. If we're 100 years or so away, and, you know, I don't know. I don't have a calendar. Anybody know the exact time Jesus is coming back? Okay, you know, the principles still apply. But once again, this is what's going to happen at the end of time. In an unprecedented way, Satan is going to be unleashed. Now, we do not have to fear him, but we do need to be wise. Uh, many error in one of two ways concerning Satan. An unhealthy fascination with the demonic and the occult or complete disbelief. Both the secular materialist and the spiritual nut are treading in dangerous territory. The Rolling Stones sang a song, Sympathy for the Devil. That song is naive and foolish though it does have some really good guitar licks, okay? But that attitude, let's look at our passage and see what's coming. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key to the shaft of the abyss was given to him. He opened the shaft of the abyss, and smoke came up out of the shaft like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. Then out of the smoke, locusts came to the earth, and power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only people who do not have God's seal on their foreheads. They were not permitted to kill them, but were to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment caused by a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses equipped for battle. On their heads were something like gold crowns. Their faces were like men's faces. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. 
They had chests like iron breastplates. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses rushing into battle. And they had tails with stingers like scorpions so that with their tails they had the power to harm people for five months. They had as their king the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. There are still two more woes to come after this. This is apocalyptic language. Now, when you read that at first, you're like, what? <laughs> right? Is that, was that your first impression? Okay. Apocalyptic language is meant to be very vivid language to express uh, a truth that's of what's going to happen. This is clearly referring to a demonic horde that's going to go out into the world for a short period of time and wreak havoc with the world, Okay. Uh, we are, many people try to read into this secret, hidden things, and that is not the point of apocalyptic language. You're not supposed to try to look for hidden meanings underneath it. What we want to see is what was going on in the first century. Those ideas will help us understand how we're to see what these pictures represented, but we will see that this is a reference to the end of, of time. In our passage, we will see that God actually uses Satan to bring about his judgment. Now, Satan thinks he's getting away with havoc. But as Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil. Satan is a puppet on a string. In the very end, the world will be a very dangerous place. We need to be aware of that. So you want to make sure that you are on God's side. Let's walk through the passage. Verse 1, we see that Satan is our arch enemy, as I said. He says, the fifth angel blew his trumpet. These are the seven trumpets of judgment, if you remember from the last few weeks. And I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key to the shaft of the abyss was given to him. So the star is a person. And so who is this star? Well, it is Satan. Satan is a fallen angel. We know that from the descriptions of Satan in throughout the Bible. But he's a fallen angel. But when you look at this, and he's described as falling from heaven, when is that, what time period is this talking about? I want you to look at Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Now, we'll look at this in a little more detail a little later. But in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. So when did this fall take place? Well, we know from the Scriptures that Satan fell as a fallen angel, became a fallen angel before the physical realm was created. Okay, so before the physical realm, Satan fell, took some angels along with him, and he was there to harass Adam and Eve, okay, and he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. So he fell then, but when did this fall take place? Well, when he speaks of him as a star that had fallen from heaven, well, this is probably a reference to Luke ten eighteen. That took place during the ministry of Jesus. Jesus saw him at this point in time falling. So, And here's how we understand this, I believe. 
In the Old Testament, Satan, though he was a fallen angel, he still had access to heaven. He still was able to go before the throne of God. We see that in Job chapter 1 and 2 where he went and he accused Job. He said, Job just worships you for what he can get. And that was the whole deal that was going on in the book of Job. So, but notice he was in the presence of God at that time. We also see in Zechariah chapter 3 that he was in the presence of God at the throne room of God accusing Joshua the high priest before the Lord. Now, at this time, when Jesus comes in his ministry, he is kicked out of heaven. He is no longer allowed to accuse us before the Lord in heaven. That is good news. And it's because if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is, therefore, no condemnation. Okay? That's Romans 8, chapter 1. So Satan can't accuse us before God in heaven, but he still tries to accuse us to ourselves. And so if Satan comes to you and starts accusing you, if you're a believer, don't listen to him. He's a liar, right? Liar, the chief of all liars. Isn't that what the Bible says? So if he's a liar and he's accusing you of stuff, he's probably lying. So don't listen to him. But here we see this fall. And then he has, he doesn't have much time left. So that's why he's been working overtime since the time of Jesus, harassing people. But at this very end of time, uh, we see that Satan is no longer restrained. So at the very end of time, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 6 and 7, we'll, we'll look at that page passage later when we get to Revelation 13 and talk about the Antichrist. But it says, in view of the Antichrist as well as Satan in general, God is going to take his hand off. He's been restraining him in part, but he's, for a short time, he's going to take his hand off. And that's what we see in this very end of time and what is going to take place. He's given a key, and the key that re- represents authority over this place, the shaft of the abyss that he opens up. We'll talk about what that means in just a moment. But with this, Satan is no longer restrained. Now, by the way, He has always controlled the unbelievers. The Bible clearly says, so I want you you to turn to 1 John 5, verse 19. Uh, This is a reference uh, to Satan's control, and we need to understand this. John says, and if we know that he... I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong passage. 1 John 5... 19, not 15. 15 is a great verse. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Now, notice that. As believers, if you are a believer in Christ, you are of God. But the whole rest of the world is under the sway of the evil one. This is the facts of life. He has always controlled the unbelievers. Now, this is important for us to understand, especially in our day and age, because in the end of time, he's going to be unleashed in an unprecedented way, and it seems like he is moving in that direction. Uh, My niece called me up, and uh, she was struggling over an issue. She has a couple friends who who are gay. She, you know, she wants to help them out of that lifestyle. But here's the situation that we find ourselves in. 
the world has embraced the idea that homosexuality is simply an alternative lifestyle, perfectly acceptable, and that's just, you know, in the past people used to think it was wrong or bad, but now that we have been enlightened, of course, we know that it, it, there's nothing wrong with it. Well, what's, that's where the world is at, but now much of the church is embracing that view as well. And they're saying, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, the Bible does teach those things, but we know now that that's not true and that it's, it's once again, just a perfectly acceptable alternative lifestyle. Now, I want you to just think about this in light of this verse here, okay? The whole world is under the sway of the evil one. They are being manipulated by Satan. They come to the conclusion that homosexuality is an alternative lifestyle and there's nothing wrong with it, even though the Bible clearly speaks of it as sin, okay? So then the church listens to the world and embraces that. What's more likely, that they walked away from God's truth? Because if the whole world is under the sway of the evil one and the world is the ones that are saying homosexuality is okay then doesn't it make sense that the world is listening to Satan and they got it wrong? And for the church to embrace that afterwards is really foolish. Now, that doesn't mean we're supposed to beat people up over this issue. We want to love them. We want to help them. My niece, she wants to help them out of this because she knows if the Bible says this is wrong, then they're hurting themselves. And we're not helping them by saying it's an alternative lifestyle. We're hurting them by, by just ignoring the fact that this is really hurting them bad. And by the way, even science brings that out, that it is, it is harming everyone involved. But the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. He has always controlled the unbelievers. And, but he's Always been limited in the past, okay? Job, back again, once in Job 1 and 2, that deal with Satan. If you remember, Satan couldn't do anything unless God allowed him to. So in the past, God was restraining him. He has been limited. And by the way, I also want to show you another truth. Look at Psalm 24, verse 1. Uh, There's this idea out there that I've heard people say that the earth, the world, is Satan's and that he owns it. And that's why when Jesus was tempted, Satan said, I uh, have all these kingdoms. They can be yours if you bow down to me. And so that proves that Satan, these kingdoms belong to Satan. That is baloney, okay? That's a theological word there, okay? That is simply not true, okay? Satan doesn't own this world. Satan's the liar. So he was lying when he said that, okay? Look at what the Bible says about in Psalm 24, verse 1. By the way, this is quoted in the New Testament, so it's still true today, okay? It says, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. That's the truth, okay? The earth and everything in it The world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord, for he laid its foundations on the seas and established it on the rivers. He created the universe. He didn't give it to Satan, okay? He's in total control and always will be, but he sovereignly allows Satan for a time 
to do his bidding. And in the end of time, he's going to unleash it for a while to bring about these judgments that we're seeing in this passage. Now, so Satan is our arch enemy. And then in verses 2, that says verse 3, but it should say verse 2. Verses 2 through 10, we see the demonic horde will wreak havoc. When he opens up the abyss and allows these people, look at what it says in verse 2. He opened the shaft of the abyss, and smoke came up out of the shaft like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. Then out of the smoke locusts came to the earth, and power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plants or any trees, but only people who do not have God's seal on their foreheads. Uh, So what we see here is this demonic horde. And by the way, the abyss that he's referring to here, this phrase is refers to a prison house of demons. Okay. Several places in the Bible uh, mention this prison house. Jude verse 6, 2 Peter 2 verse 4 mentions this special place where demons are kept under guard at this point in time, right now. Uh, Luke 8, 31, if you remember, when Jesus was casting out some demons, the demons actually begged him, don't throw us into the abyss, this prison house of the demons, that the special demons are kept there for a day and, and a time. It's also, by the way, where Satan will be imprisoned for a thousand years, according to Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Satan will be cast into the abyss and bound for a thousand years. So that's this place that we're seeing here right now. Now, it's a spiritual place. It's for demons. Demons are not physical beings. They are spiritual beings. We as humans are both. We are physical beings and we are spiritual beings, right? Both aspects are true for us. We're physical and we're spiritual. This refers to the spiritual realm, a spiritual place, not a physical. It's literally, abyss in the Greek literally means a bottomless pit. Okay? Now, if it's under us and it's a bottomless pit, we know that's actually impossible, right? Because it'd come out the other end, wouldn't it? Right? We live in a globe, Right? Okay, you know, this is, in fact, in the ancient times, they kind of saw things uh, from a three-tier perspective. They had the heavens, they had the earth, and they had under the earth. But that is to be understood as theological geography, not physical geography, okay? Because God is not up there. Because if he was up there, then it would not be true for the Australians, right? Right? See, so it's a spiritual realm, not a physical realm. This pit, pit, the abyss, this is a spiritual realm as well. A prison house for the demons, but then they are unleashed. Satan is given the key. He allows them. They come up. We see the smoke in the furnace, and this this is a horrible place. And out come these uh, locust demons to harass the world. Uh, Demons likened to locusts with the power of Satan, with the power of scorpions, are released. This is similar to the eighth plague of the ten plagues of Moses, if you remember. And it's also very similar 
to the locust vision that Joel had in chapters 1 and chapter 2, especially chapter 2 of Joel, the book of Joel. There's several, when we look at this, it actually does have several uh, aspects of it that coincide with, and so it probably is pointing to that locust vision of Joel chapter 2. But revealing to us, this is a demonic locust-like creature. Okay, so demons like locusts, uh, with the power of scorpions, are released. They torture the unbelievers for a limited time. It says in verse 5, they were not permitted to kill them, but were to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment caused by a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. And so we see that they torture the unbelievers. So this is a judgment on the unbelievers. Satan and his minions are pouring this out. Now, five months, by the way, is a normal lifespan of a locust in the desert. So it's it's referring to that. Let me read something from uh, Kendall Easley in his commentary. He says, These locust demons appear to be a special class of evil spirits, that has remained under God's lock and key until this time. They have power to inflict severe but non-fatal pain on people for five months, a limited period of time identical to the lifespan of natural locusts. Why will the supernatural hosts of evil be willing to inflict such agony that evil human beings, uh, also servants of the devil, will seek death but will not find it? Evil always has a way of turning and devouring itself. The devil's kind take delight in hurting and destroying each other. Uh, Lad goes on to describe uh, this, to, to give reference to this description. Now, let me read the description here back in Revelation 9, verse 7. He says, The appearance of the locust was like horses equipped for battle. On their heads were something like gold crowns. Their faces were like men's faces. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had chests like iron breastplates. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses rushing into battle. And they had tails with stingers like scorpions so that with their tails they had the power to harm people for five months. Now remember, these are spiritual beings. So we're trying to figure out many times what are they referring to physically, like we're going to see some scorpion flying around or whatever, and I think we missed the point here. Let me read what Lad says to help us understand what he might, might be the context for this passage. He says, An old Arab proverb is often quoted which says that the locust has a head like a horse, a breast like a lion, feet like a camel, a body like a serpent, an antenna like the hair of a maiden. That was an old Arab proverb of that time period. So probably knowing the proverb, they're describing these locusts with this kind of description. So what does it refer to? The crowns, he suggests. Perhaps the success of the locusts in their mission. Uh, The human faces indicate the intelligence of these demonic monsters. Verse 8, he gives a few different possibilities. He says, they're hair-like women. Ancient commentators often interpreted this as representing the abuse of sexual relations. Some modern commentators see here a reference to the Parthian hosts 
who dwelt just outside the limits of the Roman Empire to the east who were a constant threat to the Roman peace. The Parthians were known for wearing long hair. The most probable interpretation in view of the Arab proverb quoted above is that this is an allusion to the long antenna of the locusts, since that's what it, how they would have understood that. Their teeth like lion's teeth, the fierceness of this demonic plague, Scales like iron breastplates, the scaly bodies of locusts can be likened to iron breastplates. Uh, Iron suggests the powerlessness of men to destroy their demonic foes. The noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. This is again an allusion to Joel's prophecy where the plague of locusts is described as being like the appearance of horses. And like war horses, they run as with the rumbling of chariots, they leap in the tops of the mountains. That's Joel 2, verse 4 and 5. An actual invasion of locusts is accompanied by a loud rushing sound made by the beating of millions of wings. The seer likens the sound to a host of chariots rushing into battle. And so it seems that he's just using this description and amplifying the description of a locust. Uh, one difference, though. Locusts, according to Proverbs 30, verse 27, do not have a king. But these, peop- these demonic hordes do have a king. Now, a word of caution, okay? We're trying to figure out exactly what this is saying it's probably best to understand it that this is a demonic force and this is a spiritual, uh, uh, spiritual way of defining just how bad they're going to be. Uh, Paige Patterson gives us a very sound warning in apocalyptic uh, literature in general. He says this, The sounding of these two trumpets, the, the, the fifth one and then the sixth one, present presents difficulty not so much in terms of their obvious intent and extent of devastation imagined as of the impenetrable mystery regarding their precise nature, which does not underestimate the genius of interpreters in endlessly discerning various modern contraptions, okay? Some people I've heard say this must be tanks. That's what it is, it's tanks. But somehow they don't kill people. I've heard other people say it's the Beatles, the rock band, the Beatles, because they have faces like humans, long hair, and the, and the breastplate, that's their electric guitar. Literally, I'm serious, okay? It, once again, that's not the point of Apocalypse Night. We're not supposed to be reading into it some secret hidden knowledge here. What we understand from the first century period, probably the Arab proverb is coming, is coming to, you know, being described and being used here, but these are bad guys, and that's what we're supposed to know, Okay? Uh, these demons are horrible bad guys. Um, but notice, they're not able to harm the believers. Verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only people who do not have God's seal on their foreheads. That seal that was referred to in chapter 7, where God will protect his people. They're not allowed to harm God's people. We will be protected. Now I want you to look back at Luke chapter 10, okay? Look back at it. We want to see the whole context now of Luke chapter 10. In Luke, Jesus sent out 70 of his followers to share the gospel. And we see, look at verse 17. We'll start in verse 17. The 70 returned with joy 
saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will ever harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So here we see that God's people, we do not have to fear the demonic realm. God has given us power and authority over this realm and nothing, they will not be able to harm us. We will be able to trample on them. That's what the Word of God says. That's what we're seeing here as well. They are not allowed to harm us. We do not need to fear the devil. Fear nothing but God because He is sovereignly in control of the universe. Last week we saw that this will actually present us with an opportunity to minister to the hurting, okay? We are not supposed to gloat over the unbeliever's misfortune, especially in this time, and uh, uh, at the end of time, but at any time when people who don't know Jesus, they're under the sway of the evil one. How do you expect them to live? We're not supposed to go, nah, 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 nah you know, told you so or whatever. We're supposed to see this as an opportunity to minister to them, to help them, to love them in their difficulty. And I believe that that is what will bring about the greatest revival of all time. Revival will come when Christians practice Ephesians 4, verse 15. Before we read that verse, I want to show it and explain it in a skit, okay? So I need my actors to come up, okay? This is how not to live out Ephesians 4, verse 15. So we need our, our unbelievers. Scum. All of you are scum. The King James Version says, repent or you will go to hell. No, I say to you, we are all God's children. You can have any religion. You can live your alternative lifestyle. God loves us all. Everybody gets in heaven. Neither of those ways were accurate. Give those guys a hand. (laughs) Okay, now let's go ahead and look at Ephesians 4.15. See what it says. This is our mandate here. Ephesians 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Speaking the truth in love. If you notice, the first evangelist did not speak in love. Did he? Okay. Bad evangelist. <laughs> but he's not looking at me. But, but, but notice the second evangelist did not speak the truth. Did he? Okay. We're to speak the truth in love. 
we share the gospel, but we do it out of a heart of compassion, and we want to help these people who are hurting. This is going to be miserable for them and the things that they're experiencing. And by the way, that's true of people even now who are hurting. Of course, they sometimes latch out at us as believers, and they blame us and this and that. We don't have to pull the blame back at them. Just love them back. That's what God calls us to do. So, but, but speak the truth to them. We don't say, oh, yeah, everybody goes to heaven. It's okay. There are many paths. Jesus said, and by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, that means you follow Jesus. This isn't rocket science, okay? And Jesus said, John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's what he said. And we're followers of him, so we believe that. In Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said that broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go down that path. But narrow is the way that leads to a life, and few find it. That's what Jesus said. And so we cannot say all paths lead to heaven. Acts 4, verse 12, Peter said very specifically, there is no other name under heaven by which we have been given that we might be saved. And so as followers of Christ, we want to speak the truth, but we share it in love. We actually care about these people because Satan is coming. And what we see in the end here in verses 11 and 12 is Satan is the destroyer. He says, They had as their king the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. There's still two more woes to come after this. It's, this is just the beginning. It's even going to get worse. But look at verse 11. As their king... The angel of the abyss. Some think this is another demon, but more than likely, this is Satan. He's the one who's been given the key. He's called Abaddon, and he's called Apollyon. Both of those words mean the same thing. Abaddon in Hebrew, Apollyon in Greek, they both mean one who destroys. That's what it's referring to. He is the destroyer. It is used in one place in Psalm 88, 11 to refer to the realm of the dead, so it's used as a place. But here it's clearly referring to a person, Satan, the same person given the key, okay? So Abaddon in the Hebrew, remember, he is under God's sovereign control. He was given the key. He couldn't have done anything without the key. So God is allowing him for a short time to wreak havoc, to bring about God's judgment on the world. Uh, But Apollyon, the Greek word, this is probably also uh, intended as an attack on the false god Apollo. Okay, Uh, Let me read something from Daniel Aiken. He explains... He says, John may have intended an indirect attack on the Greek Roman god Apollo and thus on the reigning emperor Domitian, who thought of himself as Apollo incarnate. Apollyon and Apollo, uh, Apollon in Greek, so it's Apollyon and Apollon, look and sound similar. Furthermore, worshipers of Apollo had as one of their symbols for him the locust. 
in John's Apocalypse, the Greek reader could not have missed the echo of the name Apollo, the god, and Apollyon, the destroyer. The well-known pagan god, a favorite of the emperor, whose persecution of Christians lies behind the book of Revelation, is identified with hell and destruction. And so it's probably also intended as an attack on the false god Apollo. Now, with this, once again, we need to understand. False gods, according to the Bible, are demons. Deuteronomy 32, 17 clearly teaches this. So does 1 Corinthians 10, 20. False gods are not just different ways people sincerely came up with their expression of God. False gods are demons trying to keep people from the true God. All paths do not lead to God. A common today belief that fits in line with this is the idea that Allah is the same as Yahweh. I don't know if you've heard of that idea, but Allah is not Yahweh. They are not the same God, and we don't help people by promoting that, that falsehood, okay? The Jewish God, Yahweh, the Christian God, we call Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the, uh, and the Muslim God, Allah, are the Muslim God is a different God. Now, they all three believe that God is one God, so that's the one thing we have in common is monotheism. But Allah, when you, if you read the Koran itself, is described as so different from the God of the Bible. Uh, for one, the God of the Bible is triune. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Koran clearly speaks against the doctrine of the Trinity. So they're not the same. The Bible speaks of Jesus as the Son of God. The Koran says God does not have a son and clearly rejects that view. The, the, the Koran speaks uh, where Allah commands Muhammad and his followers to advance uh, and take the world by the sword. That's in Surah chapter 9, as well as chapter 2 of the Koran. And so, but whereas the Bible says, Jesus said, this is not, my world is is not, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. That uh, we're not supposed to advance the gospel by the sword. Those guys that did that back in the Middle Ages that claimed to be Christians, that was wrong. We're not supposed to do that kind of stuff, the crusaders and so forth. The, the Bible, now picture this, okay? In the Old Testament, God gave his personal name, Yahweh, to his followers because he wanted a personal relationship with them, okay? In the New Testament, Jesus said, call God Father, which is an even more intimate relationship with God. And now we're supposed to believe that Allah has trashed all that and you just, and because in the Quran there's no relationship at all we're simply his subjects and that's it the, it's blasphemy to speak of a personal relationship with Allah these are different gods and we don't help anybody by saying foolish things like Allah is Yahweh that we're all just kind of believing the same thing maybe with slight differences of opinion religion is not a game If you practice that kind of thinking in science, you blow yourself up. I just sincerely believe that these two chemicals should be mixed together and wonderful things will happen then. Okay? It's more so 
in the spiritual realm. There is a spiritual realm as well as a physical realm. Not everybody gets a trophy, by the way. Many Christians today try to get as far away from God as possible without losing the benefits. They test the fence. In the end, this will prove to be absolutely foolish. You see, every time we sin, we are siding with Satan. Every single time. So whose side are you on? That's the question you must deal with. Because now is the time to make a decision. We don't know what's going to happen in the end. It's going to get worse and worse. Now is the time to make a decision. And the Bible's really clear about this. You are to think long and hard about this. Jesus even said, count the cost before you make this decision. Okay, count the cost. But when you are ready, when you say, yes, I do believe this, the Bible says you repent of your sins, you place your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone as your Savior, and you outwardly express that faith in baptism. That's how you say, I've decided to follow Jesus Christ. By the way, we do have a baptism coming up, okay? We're going to do it in the Mississippi River. Uh, it's coming up, what, what day again? July 23rd, we're going to actually have the whole service down there at the park, Wilson Park. We're going to get in the Mississippi River. I promise it won't be in an area where it's really rough and fast-moving. By the way, if you get baptized and you get caught in the current, you get to go to heaven. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We don't, we don't, we're not, we, we'll do it in a nice shallow spot, okay? <laughs> but you think about this, and if you are ready, I want you to sign up because I want to meet with you ahead of time. And talk, make sure you understand what's going on, okay? But we're going to have a baptism. It's going to be a kick. We're going to have a blast. But here's the question. In light of all this stuff that's coming up, it may not be for a while. It might be very soon. We don't know. But are you ready? And whose side are you on? Let's pray. Father, as